And we had a kind of a question slash topic that came up on the previous episode. So we were talking about uh, we were talking about my calf growth, and we had we had discussed that you know a lot of that was just from walking and the way that I walked as a kid. And uh, Trevor had said, "This is why uh, I don't believe in junk volume. You are potentially creating more nuclei in the muscle." And a mother example using Scott's calves. Um, you could say he did junk volume every day just by walking. You see young guys who train chest every day because they don't know better. And 99% of the time, they have great chests. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it's not a question, but I thought, eh, you know, that's an interesting observation that he's making. I thought I'd, I'd bring it to you and uh, yeah. just hear what your thoughts were on this. Because I, I think that in a way, I, he kind of has some points in there, you know? Yeah, and this this relates the the term I used when we um, I think when we we're digging into this was loading history. We're talking about weak muscle groups. Yeah, 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 and that's um, that refers to just like whatever the muscle has has been encountering in terms of its loading, the pattern of loading, the extent of loading, the amount of tension that's produced relative to maximal tension, the time under under that tension. Um, sort of the loading, the on and off cycles that the muscle is experiencing. So. That's why you know people say you got to train your calves differently because they have a in, a in the in the body or the scientific vernacular different loading history. So what you experience in your calves, the way you walk, we sort of we go into this like you tend to like really you're up on the on your tippy toes. So your loading your loading history is different than the average person's in terms of your calves, and it has been probably since you've been a kid. Yeah. So that that may be at least part of why your calves develop that much. I mean, maybe maybe they're going to be big no matter what. But there's definitely and maybe there's, you know, a little bit of interplay between both things. Like you had the tendency to have big calves and that led to your gait pattern where you're on your tippy toes, which mm. led to more loading the calves. And the calves yeah. just gradually adapted. So there's in that case, we're talking about probably a developmental process that occurred during the course of hundreds of thousands of steps yeah. as you were growing as a kid. Um and that's totally different than someone who's done 12 sets um, of, of intentional weight training every day <laughs> for, or, or even that before we go into like that, yeah. you know, like the bench press every day, um, you know, and they do is instead they do 18 sets and that's too much, but that's in an upper in their chest, let's say, we'll just keep it the chest for the sake of comparison. Sure. And they, um, uh, they didn't get anything else out of those extra six sets except for increased muscle protein breakdown. I see. Yeah, um, so that would be the junk volume. But the chest isn't being used anywhere unless they walk on their hands, you know, or unless yeah. they unless they did my rebound training where I was doing you know push ups every time I'd go in and out of the bar, or whatever. Yeah. They're not loading their chest anywhere like you load your calves when you're walking around them all the time. Yeah, and dude, I remember specifically like I was in basketball in eighth grade and I played soccer all through like my junior high years and before that, and I remember. Just like, because I would, when I, I run, when I sprint, I go to my toes and, mm-hmm. you know, you get so much spring and I was faster than a lot of kids. Like even since like early elementary school, we do like track stuff and I had the 50 yard dash, yeah. I beat everybody. And uh-huh. I just remember though, like things like soccer, my calves just like freaking burning. But, you know, yeah. I, I just learned to keep pushing, you know, and yeah. keep running. So I, yeah, there were, there was probably some adaptation adaptation happening back then and and it was just like and then of course yeah the rest of the day i still had to walk right so you're still using it 
I mean, you see, for instance, sprint cyclists and even some endurance cyclists that have really big quads. You do, you do. yeah, um, crazy yeah. quads on some of those cyclists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of them lift too. Like there's, um, yeah, like there was one one cyclist who actually, and the guy's just his quads. I mean, he can do this because his quads are so big, but he's also trained for it. His quads are just ridiculous. Yeah. So, so in the context of trying to use like a very relatively infrequent or call it kind of a phasic type of, of um, loading regime or creating the, that sort of loading history by lifting weights where you spend, you know, less than five minutes of time under tension, um, you know, twice a week, let's say, or something like that. That's completely different than what you're talking about when you're running, you know, and literally you've got, you know, active energy demand for hours on end as a kid running around and running through the neighborhood and jumping and just, you know, being, doing kids stuff. So there can be junk volume, um, you know, in terms of, of high, of high volume training, because people can just get so sore Mm -hmm. that, that you literally incur so much muscle protein breakdown. And this goes back to the, the studies that were, that have been done in this regard where they measure muscle protein breakdown at the beginning. And I just, just talked about this German on a podcast. We talked about it in, Podcast 101, I think, maybe 102, the one on training, the, that three-part series you did, where you measure muscle protein synthesis right at the beginning of a novel training program and then watch to see how much people grow. And you would think, well, the more protein synthesis they have, the more they're going to grow. Yeah. But it doesn't happen that way. And the thing that's different, that first session, than what's different later on in the training regime is that you can get massively sore. You've got, you, 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 you have a lot of muscle soreness, you have a lot of muscle breakdown, you have a lot of inflammation. So that muscle protein synthesis um, can be counterbalanced or overwhelmed by the extent of muscle protein breakdown you have. So that how much you get there doesn't really determine what's gonna happen in the long run because that's a different scenario when you've got that much muscle protein breakdown and that much muscle soreness, that much inflammation. But in this, in this study where they finally um, kind of caught on to what might have been going on here, they measured three weeks in. So now you've got a protective effect working, work, mm. working for you. You're not as sore. Then when they measured muscle protein synthesis, three weeks, and then they measured actually at the end, like the last training session, the correlations went from zero at the first day to like 0.85 to over 0.9. Yeah. Really, really strong correlations. So then the people that have the best acute response to the, to the, um, that particular bout that, that they that they had constructed in that in that study are the ones that grow the best. The more proteins this you have, you accumulate that over time by training, eating correctly, everything else. Then that leads to the muscle growth that you want. But if you train in a way where you've got junk volume, excess volume that just incurs more muscle damage, then you've got more damage that needs to be repaired. Right. You've got more muscle breakdown as well. So now you've got more muscle breakdown, which takes away from the balance between synthesis and breakdown. Got to have more synthesis than breakdown. If you want to have growth, you want to accumulate the protein. So you've got more breakdown, which works against you. And now the synthesis that you have produced needs to go to repair all the extra breakdown that you've created. So you shot yourself in both feet. Mm. Basically you've made your, your protein synthesis less available for the growth processes. And you've put yourself into a hole by creating more, more breakdown with the quote unquote junk volume. So that's a totally different scenario than someone like you, where you've got like this compensatory overload type of situation. This is like with the rats where you take out the soleus or the gastroc and 
animals walk around and eventually, I mean, they're probably sore as shit. Like they don't, they don't do a, like a, a visual analog. So how sore are you, Mr. Rat? You know, yeah, can't right. tell you. But I know that shit doesn't feel good. You know that you can't. Yeah. Um, and you see massive muscle growth there and that accumulates over time from a continuous chronic adaptation. Hmm. Um, and you know, not everyone has, this is the kind of the interesting thing. Like you got massive muscle growth out of that. Some people do. You see obese people that have actually more of a kind of a phasic type of activity um, because they don't like to walk around very much because they've got a lot of body weight to move around. So they're not really very active. Yeah. Um, but you also see very functional, um, powerful calf muscles in a lot of sprinters who don't have very big calves. True. You don't see many sprinters don't. It's better for sprinting overall to be one of the at least the best in the world to have a really long Achilles tendon because you got a spring there for a stretch shortening cycle. So you've got you're running on springs basically. Check out this so, uh, check out this variation. So when we were talking about cyclists, I did a Google search. Look at the hmm. variation in these three guys. We can assume that they're probably all doing similar stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That guy in the yeah, the guy on the right is one I've seen, but they all have big. Those are all big quads, really. They are, but comparatively, that guy on the left doesn't have yeah. legs that you would be like, "Oh my god, those look like bodybuilder legs." I mean, maybe people would. I mean, his legs are in great shape. Yeah. But compare that to the guy on, the, especially the far right. You know. Yeah, they're monsters. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are literally bodybuilders' legs. Yeah. But and why? Lot- why is it that the guy in the left didn't achieve that? You know what I mean? Well, that's what I was about to say is that, that that's what I figured guys do a lot of weight training. Okay. Right. Yeah. Some of them, some of them are there. They say, okay, I do this and I, and this, I can, as long as you're using that muscle in your given sport. So you're using it specifically, um, you're not going to have an issue with being muscle bound or what have you. you if you can, mm. if you can, and this is where genetics are going to play a role. If you, if you're someone who has the inclination to grow larger muscle cells, yeah, or maybe even have a hyperplastic adaptation, we get more muscle cells like we talked about last time. Yeah, which is a nice clip that you sent me that I just put up on Instagram last night. It was, it was awesome. Um, those people, that's they may they may be very good at their sport. And do you, were those sprinters? Is that would you have put cyclists? Just cyclists. So didn't say what their what their sport yeah. was necessarily yeah they were yeah they're just some type of cyclist so it was from an article about cycling and growing your legs okay okay yeah because that because that kind of kind of matters whether they're endurance cyclists you look at just look at the physiques of sprinters you know running sprinters not sprint cyclists and endurance athletes and you see a totally different phenotype yeah that's better adapted less obviously a lot more muscle on the sprinters check out this guy um, this is a sprinter oops kind of came in small there Dude's got some legs on him. Yeah, yeah. He's got so an upper body on him too. He obviously trains. Yeah, yeah. And he's probably got great genetics for the for the thing. I mean, talk about. I was this popped in my head the other day. Um, there's a bodybuilder who's now passed on. His name's his name was Justin Rice. Okay. From uh, New Zealand. People can look him up. He's he was like a um, he was big Kiwi on professional muscle. Oh, actually. okay. Yeah, I remember him. So I. Like I, I, I knew him before he even like got well known on that site. We interacted some. Super nice dude, but a friggin' maniac. Yeah, and, and he, yeah, oh god, he used to train like he used to eat like twelve meals a day. He was as big, <laughs> he, was as, he was as big as Ronnie. Holy literally. shit! Literally, yeah. pictures. He's the same size as Ronnie, like about the same height and the same size. Yeah, Ronnie's shape. Yeah, but he, he used to do four hundred five pound behind the neck presses. Good with, god, that's a ten, something like that. He's just he was a beast. Yeah. 
Um, I think he had he had some sort of musculoskeletal disorder that eventually took him out. I don't know if it was Parkinson's or okay. something. Remember, but um, but he was a sprinter for New Zealand. Huh, okay. I think just kind of like whatever. I mean, New Zealand's not obviously the biggest country in the world, but he was like the, one of their best sprinters. He was like their like their his Olympic level sprinter for his country, probably without doing much because he had great genetics. So he got a lot of fast twi- fibers. Fast fibers tend to be have a better um, ability to grow. The studies generally suggest that, at least in the short term. So there's something there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the biggest guys are also the strongest guys. Mm. Fast switch fibers may have a little bit of a slight advantage in terms of the amount of force per cross-sectional area they can produce. It's called specific tension. So you know, a, a fast and slow twitch fiber are the same size. The fast twitch fiber, even at, at slow speeds, can probably produce maybe a little bit more force. It's not all novel studies say this, but generally it makes sense in terms of the energy turnover. Anyway, so he hurt his knee. This is this is how he got into weight training. Hurt his knee, and he's like, oh, so I got to do some rehab now." Hmm. So like he was in there like doing like quad sets. I don't know. I don't know what it was. If he if he meniscus or an ACL or something. And so he's in the gym. He's like, "I just got to do something with his energy." Guy had a lot of energy, so he started lifting. Yeah. And without like even having any program or doing anything, it's just like I got to lift and eat. You got to recover. He gained fifty pounds in the first six months. Oh, son of a bitch! I hate yeah. guys like that. Absolutely well, hate them. He wasn't. Done. He's, like, he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like at the world level. Like a lot of these guys are using gear, so uh, probably should use some gear. So he threw some gear in the mix. <laughs> he gained another fifty pounds in the next six months. Uh, and then he couldn't get on his bike anymore. <laughs> well, he was a, he was a running sprinter. He oh, wasn't a okay. Cyclist. No, I got you. Yeah. I got confused. Yeah, hundred meter dash. Yeah, yeah. I believe. Um, so he gained hundred pounds in his first year. 50, 50 natural. That's 50. crazy, man. That's fucking genetics, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, 100 pounds, you know, I, I managed to, you know, maybe do that over uh, from, you know, 116 <laughs> high school to 260, you know, at my peak. Yeah. But it took me 20 years, you know? So. That's cool. You mentioned, yeah. too, uh, the idea of, like, if you still continue working in your sport that you're not going to get muscle bound. You know who I think of is our mutual friend, uh, Big Dave Smith. And look at how agile he is for being like, he's, we could call him a legit monster. You know what I mean? Like if you, you know, he's solid dude. He's two sixties, I'm guessing something like that. Yeah. He can do, you know, backflips if he wanted to, or, you know, twist up like a pretzel. And, and I'd have to think that if he didn't do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like none of that would be a factor in his life right now, you know? Oh, oh yeah, a lot of flexibility. I mean, there are some yeah. things like Jordan Peters, speaking of, he's doing, I think he, he last time I talked to him, he was doing some BJJ, some of that kind of stuff. Okay. And they're just like, you just got so much size, there's just certain things you can't do. Like, yeah, you know, if you go like this and your chest just gets in the way, you can't reach around right. in certain ways. But well, let, let me go back to that question too, because you're talking about the guys who bench press every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know someone personally, a guy I went to grad school with. His name is Brian Gibson. He's um, he's at uh, um, he's in Texas uh, at Rice University actually now. Okay. Um, I think he was maybe was department head at one point, but he was a powerlifter in Texas, UT Austin. Um, Jan and Terry Todd. Oh, okay. Jan shows them. He, I, he, I figured he might coach. when you started saying Texas. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah he got like third in the collegiate nationals a couple times in powerlifting. And total meathead, loved that guy. It was just like so much. I was, I got to be in his lab. It was great. That's cool. And, and he bench pressed every day. Went down to his basement, like when he was a kid. He started bench pressing, like when he's nine or something like that. Okay. And and every day he benched because he didn't know any better. He bench pressed. Yeah. And he gradually got stronger and stronger and stronger. And eventually, he told me the day that he bench pressed three fifteen, he just broke down and cried for like an hour. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> it had been a goal, you know, for like five years or something to get yeah. to three fifteen. 
But the thing that the guys that do that, who are that focused, this is, I'm just, I'm making, I'm kind of yeah. lumping them all into a box, but I think this mentality would probably explain that phenomenon pretty well is they're bench pressing every day or they're training chest because they want a big friggin' chest. And they're also trying to get stronger and or again or get more reps they're not just going in there and say i'm just gonna do the same thing like you know the, the, like the person who's reading the newspaper while they're doing the extensions like i've seen that before in a gym so they're actually they're actually wanting to become more impressive in those things so they're in essence auto regulating themselves based on their own recovery abilities so that they can go and get stronger over time yeah someone like someone like that you know they don't do that so long if they eventually find like they don't get any better at bench pressing or their exercises they probably change something. Yeah. So while they're doing that and they're getting really good, che- a really good chest, um, they're also auto-regulating to allow, to make sure that they've got appropriate adaptation, given how well they can adapt. Um, there are people who do like, um, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Herschel Walker. You heard of that guy? I, the name rings a bell. He would. He. I think he. I think he went. He went from high school directly into the NFL. Okay. He was a fucking badass. Yeah, a, uh, I, a running back. I hadn't heard of him. That it's like a, a name I hadn't heard in a long time. But now, okay. now I'm starting to come yeah. back. Yeah, Herschel would. From what I understand, Herschel's only weight training ever did is he get up and do a hundred push ups and he do a hundred sit ups. Okay, or maybe it's not a hundred, a thousand. Oh, thousand. okay, wow. Right off the being in the day, and he was built like a brick shit house. Yeah, and I mean, a thousand every day. He adapted to it, you know. Yeah. Eventually, the muscle can adapt to some degree. And some people will grow, and some people won't. And the those who don't don't keep doing it. So mm, it's not yeah. like you've got like if you took an a, a, an average, just sampled everyone, said, okay, everyone, we're going to train bench press every single day. Yeah. We know that muscle soreness is all over the place in terms of variability. Yep. There would be some people who could do that. Yeah. They could they could do they could do like you know six hard sets every day or what have you, and and and, and keep up with that and make progress. And other people would just grind to a halt and then they yeah. overtrain and maybe they hurt themselves. That's a great point. So those people would never, you never see them out there. So for them, it wasn't junk volume. Yeah. Uh, the, pr- the proof's in the fact that they're doing it. Right. If it was junk volume, they would eventually grind themselves into a hole. Then they would stop doing that and you wouldn't see them doing it anymore. Right. So, so it's, that's why, you know, science Yeah, is, not because uh, people on the internet told him it was junk volume and he, sh- he should right. stop, but because he would figure it out because it would just not work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. on the other hand, kudos to those guys because if they found like you can't you can't bench press every day like you never recover. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I've been and I'm getting stronger and I'm benching three sixty five. What are you doing? It's like yeah, yeah. Okay, so for some people it will work. You know. Yeah. That's the thing. People can do like a lot of pros do the do a pro split. They train really high volume. You know, and they can get, like Ronnie Coleman, extreme example, like training like a monster, everything twice a week. No you one else what? could do that. You know yeah. what? And, and this to me, um, I, I I see recently a lot of the older guys in bodybuilding kind of have had this this attitude toward the younger guys saying like, like they're not training hard enough, that they're too scared of overtraining. I think that's the reason what you're saying here is like, you know, see what your body's capable of. If you can handle it, then then it's going to be to your benefit almost. Yeah. We are yeah. going to cut ourselves short if we are too afraid to to push those limits. That's for sure. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, you'll, you'll also, you'll figure that out too, right? You know, just something that just occurred to me. I can imagine just like with the sort of environment we have online now, what if, 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 if he hadn't existed as this example and you can imagine like someone says like, 
they send like a YouTube personality. You can just imagine, just think of generic. I'm thinking anyone. Right. Whoever's got a million uh, followers uh, and yeah. Yeah. And evaluate my program. And they send, they send Dorian Yates program. Yeah. With relatively low volume. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, so that's all you're doing for back, you know, is this pull downs and, you know, that, those kind of bent over roads, pseudo deadlifts is like, you're not doing nearly enough sets, dude. You're never going to get big that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like, the next week they see who it is without knowing that that's a viable possibility. Yeah, you know? or or the opposite. How about we look at like an Arnold program where he cha- trained twice a day and was in the gym for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And if you're just to just generically send that program in to be evaluated, you'd probably be like, oh, man, this is this guy's doing way too much. So, yeah. And the thing with Arnold that I always kind of suspect, because those guys came totally off, I think most of them. Okay. If you see pictures of Arnold, yeah. like there's like a video of him. He was doing an advertisement for like some like South American vacation package. I remember that. And he's and like, he in his, really probably yeah. like in the one seventies or, you know, under 200. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I think those guys did, and this is, this is why in like, in like linear periodization, like the Matveyev Russian model, you have a hypertrophy phase. Yeah. And then a strength and a power phase is he's lost a lot of muscle mass. And then those guys would, they weren't, and they, and they, they weren't doing anything. They're just living like whatever, eating whatever they wanted to, just having fun, right. and at the beach. And then when it's time to get serious, everything happened at once. And they maybe even like borderline hypogonadal if they hadn't fully recovered. Or, you know, they certainly weren't you know supra physiological in terms of androgens. And then they, sure. and then they, they, they get on the goodies. Yep. And they start training, and then they, and then it's just nothing but train and rest, train and rest, train. So, and everything gets totally different. And yeah. they're growing while they're starting their prep so to speak sure that period so they're actually they've got enough recovery built in and now they've got this really novel like almost first cycle thing going on where yeah. they're totally resensitized and they're adding in extra food to their because they're growing and probably getting leaner at the same time which obviously can happen when now they've got a novel training stimulus a novel nutritional stimulus and a novel pharmacological stimulus all going on simultaneously it's a beautiful which, recipe yeah, that's a recipe for bodybuilding success. Yeah, for sure. Unless you're a, unless you're a natural, then you're going to get you know booted because you'll you won't pass the, the lie detector test. Yeah, but you'll be jacked. So who cares? Go to another federation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> they put your name out up out on the internet. Actually, in a lot of those. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that actually, man. That would be a disgrace. But then you just have to you yeah. know go to the NPC, kick some ass, turn pro, and say I didn't care about you guys anyway. Yeah. Right, and make 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 lots of friends that way. But yeah, Yeah. they they'll put your. I saw an interview with a a guy for the German National Bodybuilding Natural Bodybuilding Federation. I think it's GNBF. Yeah, um, GNBF. And uh, yeah, they when someone flunks, when someone doesn't pass one of their tests, they just put their name and their last initial. You know, okay. You can look them up and find them. I think. Um, But yeah, like it's like ah man, and you know it's coming. It's like. It's like you signed up, like they signed the waiver. It's like, you know, this is what's going to happen. Like we're going to publish these. And um, I'm sure that discouraged a lot of people from trying to cheat because that would, you know, how'd you do? It's like, I saw your name on the website, but you, you weren't, it was in the wrong section. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that was it. I, I thought that you might have some stuff to say in response. That was a fun conversation. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's like, but what did, um, there's it could be there's a possibility like you look at all the examples of like mechanics who are wrenching all day long and they have huge forearms or yeah. tennis players a really big forearm or really big arm um you know, i actually play with 
Yeah, I had a, so on the last episode, I had pulled a picture of Roger Federer that I dropped in post-production and you can see he's right-handed here. Look at the difference of his forearm. Yeah, I remember seeing him play, it was either the US Open or Wimbledon back when he was really hot and noticing that and it's like, that's all I could see was the difference between his two arms. Like that would... Can you pull up one of Martina Navratilova? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did she have a... Yeah, she was pretty muscular for a woman, just in general, and her and her dominant arm, her her uh, racket arm, yeah, was jacked. Let's see if I can find a good one because you also, I think, have to get at the right angle to yeah, catch they're not, that. Yeah, they're not hitting like a forearm pose or whatever. Exactly. Know? Here's one. Yeah, that doesn't show it. That's the yeah. I had to kind of hunt around because a lot of times it's not proportionate. Here, let's see if we can see this. Here you go. Dang, look at the difference here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Look at that vein, man. Yeah. It's, it's, a vein. it's like a monster. So she was a lefty then, huh? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can see, like, I mean, it's pretty pretty apparent. Those glasses have come full circle. Those are back in style again. Yeah, she was really good, man. She was my favorite female tennis player. I played tennis for a couple of years when Did I was you? a kid. Did you? I, yeah, I used to watch it. I'm a closet secret fan of tennis, believe it or not. Like I, I uh, it's such a brutal game, man. I yeah. really followed it closely in the early 2000s, and it was uh, mm-hmm. like when Federer was uh, on his, top of his game. Man, uh-huh. that, yeah, that's a it's a brutal, brutal sport. You don't think of it as a brutal sport, though, you know. So long, the matches go on and on and on. You have to have like some really some mental fortitude mental yeah, yeah 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 you remember like back when andre agassi was coming to the end chapters of his lo- of his tennis career not of his life yeah. <laughs> and he had yeah. the, it was at the shaved head period and yeah. in order to get through wimbledon they were doing like cortisone shots in his back literally every morning to he had thrown oh, his back out and just yeah. to keep hanging yeah yeah, yeah. brutal Wow, yeah, he didn't get I, taken I, out, I, was, I think I was there like when John McEnroe, like when he was, you know, acting out and doing all of this. Oh, I remember as a kid, my dad used to watch tennis, and yeah. I, I remember seeing seeing him, and he'd go nuts. Him and and uh, was it uh, DeBorg? They would they'd have Beyond some Borg? Beyond Borg, yeah, yeah, they'd yeah. had some yeah. some good rivalries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ball was on the line. <laughs> People don't know what we're talking about. That's yeah, okay. Like, no, I mean he like just totally because you know it's sort of like golf in a certain sense. There's a there's an etiquette. This is based in the origins of tennis, like it's a country club sport, so to speak. It's a it's right. a sport of the elite, you know. Right, and then you um, got John McEnroe. <laughs> yeah, so you like you 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 are very very polite with the judges, you know, like sir, madam, that sort of thing. And he's just saying he like it's, aside from using f bombs. Yeah, he actually use some f bombs. I don't know, but he just called people like that ball was on the line. He's like, are you blind? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he basically like brought a little WWE into the. <laughs> he, he really did. He really did. Yeah, yeah, it was good. To, it was good to see. But it's like, hey, you know, he's being um, he's being honest.